welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week we're focusing on transportation, both here on Earth and in outer space. First, a story from CBS Radio News auto industry correspondent Jeff Gilbert about how the UAW is trying to organize workers at new electric vehicle battery plants. Those new plants are joint ventures, so the union will have to organize them and negotiate a pay scale. It is, to me, disgusting that there is all this talk that batteries somehow have to pay less when they're getting subsidized by our public dollars. UAW Vice President Cindy Estrada says electrification creates new challenges and new opportunities. If people can really not look at it as a way to drive down wages, but a way way to rebuild this country, which, gosh, we need it in this moment, don't we? The union has expressed concerns it could take fewer workers to build electric vehicles. Jeff also has a report for us on efforts to make it easier for you to charge your electric vehicle. GM has come up with something new that they call plug-in charge. They pull up to a charger, they plug in, and the car starts charging, and they walk away. Hasasani is vice president of EV Ecosystems at GM. He says plug-in charge started with their charging partner, EVGo. So it was somewhat obvious for us to work with EVGo first to get plug-in charge on their network. But our plan is to very quickly follow um, the announcement with EVGo and work with the many other charge station operators out there. Asani says the whole idea is to simplify car buyers' transition from gasoline-powered vehicles to electric vehicles. But what if you're budget-challenged and you really, really want to buy a new electric vehicle, but you just flat-out can't afford to buy one? Or what if you have a classic car or truck that you just love to look at, but you can't stand to drive anymore because gas is so expensive? Enter DIY electric vehicles. We wondered, is do-it-yourself, one, actually possible, and two, actually affordable. So we asked local DIY enthusiast and former Akron Makerspace board member, Chris Bennett. It's something I'm interested in because I, I own a 1973 Plymouth Duster. Huge, huge body, loads of room in there for batteries and, and, and motor and everything. Like you, I'm aware of a number of companies have sprung up in, in recent years here in the U.S., mostly California, Oregon, Washington area, doing these sorts of conversions. I know Ford Motor Company took an old classic Ford Bronco and converted it to an electric just to sort of dip their toes in the process. I've seen a number of articles just in, in tech press come out. And the general consensus has been, you know, for this sort of conversion, assuming you already have the car to convert, anywhere from twenty to forty thousand dollars, and just in the parts, and then labor is, you know, sort of that cost over again. You know, if you're if you're just dropping it off and saying, hey, put an electric drivetrain in here, I know, you know from my reading on this, it's actually a really big thing in Europe. Um, so you can take a small white car like a, an old BMW and take out all of that internal combustion drivetrain, put an electric motor on it and connect up some batteries, you're you're off to the races. So what seems to be like the biggest challenge? Would it be, you know, an individual person's technical know-how in doing it? Or 
Would it be actually obtaining the parts and making sure that they all work together? Or is it a combination of all of that? It's sort of a combination. So the good news is electricity is electricity. Uh, as long as you have the, enough voltage to turn the motor and, and not so much to, to burn it out, you, know, you, you can hook up enough batteries and, and get it going. But there's a whole world of you know, different motor providers and different battery providers and different battery chemistries that you end up having to learn you know, for this sort of task. Um, and then you get into the required but <laughs> support parts, things like battery controllers and motor controllers, uh, power rectifiers and inverters, <laughs> and all of this around the, the charging. And, and the complexity ramps up pretty quickly. As well as, you know, you need someone who would un be undertaking this still needs to have that internal combustion engine mechanic mindset or, or that knowledge set to know, you know, is this something where I can bolt this onto you know, my existing transmission? Do I keep the transmission in place at all? What sort of gearing or ratio on my rear differential is, you know, what's the impact of that in terms of the efficiency from the motor? So there are a lot of questions and a lot of know-how that goes into it. I see. And also, these days, it's just so hard to get parts. I mean, regular car parts. And I mean, not even all the manufacturers are able to get them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We are still pretty firmly in the grit of uh, the chip shortage and, and snarled supply chains. Uh, it's, it's certainly improving, but the sh chip shortage kind of hits across all sectors. I think I saw something the other day that a number of auto manufacturers are actually buying up old washing machines, <laughs> secondhand washing machines, to repurpose some of the integrated circuits and, and components from those. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, you know, you go out and you spend $40,000 for a car and you find out it's being run by a chip from an old Westinghouse washer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we certainly live in interesting times. But, right. uh, well, and then and then some automakers and some component suppliers are even shipping a final product with certain features disabled because, well, there's just not a chip there. And then at some point in the future, when they get stock, you'll get a call from your car dealer saying, "We'd like to install the chip to enable your cruise control or your power windows." In the Akron area, if somebody wanted to uh, get together with people who were talking about it or kind of explore it more, do you know of any local groups who might be talking about this or doing it? Actually, the Akron Makerspace would be a really good resource for this. They have an annual sort of group build project. And they take a sort of like a kid's power wheels car, you know, the, the little electric powered toys, and completely rebuild it to support an adult human. And, and then they layer in new electronics and, and batteries and controllers and motor and all, and all. And then there's a sort of a sporting race that happens with it. But these cars, they're taking a, a child's toy car and converting it to go, you know, upwards of 35 miles an hour. And certainly it's, it's a difference in kind and scale, but to start getting your head around the different components, you know, what does it, what's the difference between wiring these batteries in series versus in parallel? You know, building those skills of, you know, welding and fabricating, uh, planning out a project like that. You know, so you can scale up considerably from, from a, a pretty modest and scrappy start. So I remember when we were talking about this on email, essentially it sounded like your take on this really was if you want an electric car, you might as well just buy an electric car as opposed to trying to build your own at this point, right? 
Yeah, and I hate to say it because there's a whole world of these beautiful old cars. The Duster certainly, you know, a lot of people wouldn't say it's anything great to look at. Uh, you know, speaking from my own experience there, but sort of the, the sculptural elements of these old cars, I'd love to see them sort of revived and brought back and, and running clean on a road. But it would be a labor of love at this point. And really, you know, if you're looking for something to, to get you around, you know, reduce your carbon emissions, reduce your overall costs in terms of you know, gasoline costs, but even, you know, the electric vehicles are more efficient. It looks like buying new is kind of the way to go if that's an option for you or if you want to undertake that labor of love for that beautiful old car, by all means. Right. It's not something that you're going to save money on, but it is something that you're going to look at and you're going to say, wow, that's cool and I did it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I think that kind of goes with a lot of the car culture anyway. The, hey, look, look at this cool thing I did. Now let's talk about an entirely different way to travel, definitely not powered by electric car batteries. Let's talk about rocket boosters and trips into outer space instead, and not just for research, but for fun. Brian Banmiller has that story. A Sacramento-based startup is planning to open the first space hotel by 2027. Called the Voyager Station, it's promoted as a luxury resort designed to accommodate 280 guests plus 112 crew members. To be entertained in space, there's a restaurant, bar, concert hall, gym, and movie theater. The entire station is shaped like a giant ring. And here's how it works. After blasting off from Earth, you will arrive at a central zero-gravity docking hub. From there, elevators will carry you to habitat modules arranged around the circumference of the circular station. Once there, gravity will feel normal and you and your belongings will remain firmly on the ground. So what does it cost? According to Astronomy.com, the company wants this to be a question of preference, not money. The vice president and architect says the goal is for a stay of the Voyager to rival a cruise ticket. Still, it's the flight that certainly will cost you. Brian Banmiller, CBS News. And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net.